Los Angeles, California. The name evokes images of glitz and glam. Hollywood stars in their fancy cars on wide palm tree-lined streets. But alongside that famous flashiness is one of the country's worst homelessness emergencies. And truth be told, it's been an emergency for a while. Just days ago, Governor Gavin Newsom called for the state to invest $12 billion towards resolving the issue of homelessness. It's part of his COVID economic recovery plan. But activists say it's going to take a lot more than that to deal with this decades-long crisis. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I've been working from home in Los Angeles for most of the pandemic and have seen how the houselessness crisis has grown. So when the team at Al Jazeera's award-winning documentary show Fault Lines tapped me to report on the situation here, I joined them on the road to explore how things got this way and what some people are doing about it. Here's my colleague Amina Wahid, who first came up with the idea. I'm a producer with Fault Lines. I produce half-hour films on a range of different U.S. policy issues and lack of policy here in the U.S. Which perfectly sums up the project that you and I worked on together this year. Housing in the United States and particularly looking at Los Angeles, California. Can you just describe what some parts of downtown look like when it comes to the tents, when it comes to just the population of the unhoused? In Los Angeles, these tent encampments can be quite massive. They can stretch for blocks. Line up right now, and so when they pass out the food, and uh, we're going to do rows and rows of tents, people's belongings just on full display. What you would have in your home: picture frames, teddy bears, a tie, socks, airing out because people don't have space of their own. And you could be in Beverly Hills, the super wealthy neighborhood, and then just drive down, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes max, and you'll come across one of these encampments. What's interesting to me as someone who is newer to Los Angeles is that they're everywhere. So while they might have started out in a section of downtown LA called Skid Row, you'll also find tent encampments driving on the highway or driving under a viaduct or under a bridge in the city. Just wherever you look, there seemed to be a tent. Yeah, you can't escape it in L.A. You were recognizing areas of the city when we were out reporting in which tent cities of homeless encampments had cropped up almost overnight that you hadn't seen just a few weeks before. Yeah, that's right. Just a couple weeks before the pandemic really hit, I went for a picnic. Sunday afternoon picnic with my family in this park east of downtown L.A. It's called Echo Park. And there was always a very organized homeless community there. It was just a couple tents scattered around. But then I remember a couple months into the pandemic, about three months in, we were driving past and I turned to my husband in the car and I said, wait a second, is that Echo Park? Because it looked unrecognizable. 
There were tents that had, it was like they had just exploded all over the park. And I think it was really indicative of how the crisis had grown and was really telling of how bad it was and how bad it could get. The issue is so expansive. There is no way to make one half-hour documentary on the housing crisis and houselessness in Los Angeles and have it be exhaustive. So one person we interviewed but couldn't include in the film is someone named Sammy Sumter. And I'm glad we're getting a chance to highlight Sammy in this podcast. What do you remember about meeting him? We were at a tent encampment in downtown L.A. and we got there around six o'clock in the morning. He had a sheltering in place sign on his tent and we said, hi, is anyone home? And Well, this isn't my first rodeo. He's a young guy, disabled, and was really kind enough to talk to us about his experience being homeless. I mean, I think he, like a lot of people that become homeless, it's just one incident that really leads you down this path. He said that he lost his home in an electrical fire. Most of my family's military, so they're not actually in the States at the moment. So if they were, I'm sure they would have helped me, but they won't be back for a while. He's been living on that side of the street right there in that particular part of L.A. because it's close to all of his doctor's appointments. So he was actually pointing to us like, My eye doctor's actually right there. That's where my doctor's office is. That's where my dentist is. Because if I were to move farther, it'd be difficult for me to travel being in a chair. And it's easier for me to get to those appointments because I'm in this wheelchair. And people in Los Angeles who are homeless that's often what they do. They live in areas that are close proximity to where they can get around quite easily, to where they have closest access to friends and family, closest access to a bus line, closest access to where they can get food and use the bathroom. Like that's, people think about those things. Those are very real realities. Of course. So we were on that street in downtown LA to cover the infamous Los Angeles city sanitation sweeps, as they're called. How would you describe a sweep? Well, what activists call a sweep, the city calls a comprehensive cleanup. And it happens in certain zones all over the city, usually in close proximity to homeless shelters. Officials will say this is for public safety. This is for making sure we keep the the streets clean and that, especially for homeless individuals living there, that they stay safe, that they don't get diseases because of the trash buildup. But Sammy, like a lot of other houseless people that we talked to, even the activists that we talked to were saying, this is a sweep because if this was about public health and public safety, then why would you be indiscriminately, oftentimes, just trashing people's belongings? They literally throw the tents away if nobody's in it. You know, they'll throw everything, all their belongings, they practically force you off the street. And I mean, for me, not being able to walk is a lot difficult for me than it is for able-bodied persons. I have to physically figure out how to pick up all my bags, all my belongings, and get them all the way to that corner over there on the other side of the street. What Sammy's describing is what makes these cleanups so controversial. The city will often post a notice near some tents saying it will be cleaning that area soon and that people there need to vacate. It's normally an early morning time frame, which is why we were there at 6 a.m. Sanitation workers and police arrive. 
They'll sometimes ticket people or escort them away. And they'll toss things left behind. Residents told us they've lost important documents and medications and had their personal things destroyed this way. It's why activists call these indiscriminate sweeps, but some city officials disagree. We met an L.A. city council member, Job Wiscaino, who says that's the wrong terminology for them. We have to recognize the difference between a sweep and providing cleanups in and around these most impacted encampments. Councilman Joe Buscaino, he was actually really offended by the term sweeps. He was adamant that this is not a sweep. We're cleaning up these areas. And he was really concerned that he didn't want there to be a crisis within a crisis. We actually already experienced a slight outbreak of typhus in Skid Row which is the epicenter of homelessness in our city. We also knew that there are cases of hepatitis in and around Skid Row. So we told ourselves, okay, let's just do spot cleanups to provide some type of housekeeping for individuals waiting for a shelter bed or permanent supportive housing unit. He really was looking at solving the homelessness crisis through a really aggressive regional approach. They have to put all their resources into it, and it has to be multi-layered. But when we asked him, what about budgets? Malika, you asked him about the fact that the LAPD has a $3 billion annual budget. And a lot of activists were saying, why not just move the pots around? His response was, I agree with one department. One level of government cannot solve homelessness, but I've also been saying you can't rob Peter to pay Paul. This has been a common thing in Los Angeles where politicians and leadership have really expressed the importance of solving this decades-long crisis here in Los Angeles. And yet it's like the budget priorities don't match up. One of the things I found really interesting from that interview was that the council member seemed to look at shelters as the answer. And he said that those who were living on the street could be living in shelters that are clean, that are safe, and that are available for their use. The Bridge Home Shelter today is one of the safest, cleanest shelters in the city of Los Angeles. We're proud of that. Sammy had lived in a shelter at one point. Do you remember what he told us about that? So Sammy actually told us that he was kicked out of a shelter because it was a shelter for people with mental disabilities and not physical disabilities. We, you either leave on your own or we're kicking you to the street. And I said, okay, is that my only two choices? And since then, he hasn't gotten any help. And this is not an unusual thing to hear from folks on the streets. They will say, A, the shelters are either full or at the time they didn't qualify or that they're just really restrictive. It's become a system that I think people don't feel good about. And especially during the pandemic, being in a closed setting indoors with other people, nobody wants to be in that situation. It just furthers the spread of the virus. So Councilmember Joe Buscaino is one segment of the government. What is the overall government perspective on ending houselessness in L.A.? The L.A. City Council has been trying to house people through a program called Project Room Key, which is where they take houseless individuals and they put them into temporary housing by using hotel rooms. Across the county, it's 3,200 homeless housed at 32 properties. 
the state, county, and L.A. Homeless Services Authority are behind Project Room Key. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's not permanent housing. And the number of people that they're housing is a drop in the bucket compared to how many people are still on the streets and in need of these services. So all of this, as we've mentioned, was for a Fault Lines documentary that is now out. And the team chose to start the film with one of the women we interviewed named Marta Escudero. Tell us about her. Martha is a social worker. She's from Los Angeles. She grew up out here. She's Mexican-American. And she's a mom. She has two young girls. And she ended up houseless. According to the American dream, once you have a college education, you're able to get a good job and then be able to own a house. And so that's what I thought would happen. And that just was not the case. She was couch crashing on friends' places and family members, and the situation for them just became really hard. I mean, just imagine being in that kind of limbo with two young kids and just living in different people's homes, not having your own space. Anyone would just, you'd you'd just go crazy. It's really not their fault, but I feel a lot of the times, especially family, had a lack of empathy and were extremely judgmental and um, yeah, so it it was just added, added layer of difficulty and and challenge to a situation that was already pretty bad. And so she was really looking for a solution and she thought enough is enough. Like I have to do, I have to take matters into my own hands. The system's not helping me and I have to do what I have to do for my family. The breaking point came December, 2019 when I found out about Moms for Housing in Oakland. That's a group of women in Oakland, California, who were homeless, who then took over an empty house in 2019. Martha was living on the streets when she heard about them. We were sleeping on the floor at the time. And their story inspired her. So after a year and a half of just couch crashing, she decided to do something about it. And she met some organizers who were telling her about these vacant properties that were owned by the state of California. And basically soon after that, after a couple weeks of organizing and getting together, they started staging these protests. No more! No more! And they came up with a plan to occupy them and to live in them. We are together. We will rise and we will thrive together. Martha and the other protesters call themselves reclaimers. And their group is called Reclaiming Our Homes. They found out about an L.A. neighborhood with a bunch of state-owned houses that were empty and not on the market. So they found a way inside and started living there. Martha was one of the first to do this, and others followed. What Martha and the other reclaimers did is technically illegal, but it worked. It's been several months of negotiations between the state of California and the city of Los Angeles so that the first group of reclaimers, the group that Martha's a part of, can keep those homes. The state agreed to lease 26 properties to the city of Los Angeles so it could house families like Martha's. She pays rent and says it's affordable. But other efforts by reclaimers to do the same thing, to bring in another group, were responded to very differently with some pretty dramatic footage that was captured on video. I think the most shocking 
piece of those videos is when the California Highway Patrol went in and grabbed a young woman and hogtied her and dragged her out of the house. Activists told us she was just 17 years old. Her and her mom had been homeless for a long time and they were just looking for a place to live. I tried for a long time to see if they would be interested in being interviewed, but it sounded like they were still very traumatized by the experience and they were still looking for support after all of this. As far as I know, I don't think they've received any housing as of now. When people are in need of housing and that's the response, and the activity that's deemed criminal is just somebody wanting to shelter, especially in a time when shelter is a matter of life and death, and the response is for them to be taken out quite aggressively. I find that pretty appalling. We got to spend a lot of time with both Martha and her two daughters. How have her daughters handled everything they've been through? They are just spunky and so smart. We need to record it. They are whip smart. Hi, this is DJ Mariposa. DJ Gatita. And you're listening to The Sister Show. And they have this great podcast called The Sister Show. I really encourage everyone to, to just listen in. It's pretty great. We wanted to call out Mayor Garcetti and Governor Newsom because they're doing a bad job because yeah. they're leaving the houses, these houses empty in El Sereno and all over the state. And they and shouldn't do that because there's people on the streets, there's people not having houses. I mean, for an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, they are really well-versed in policy so far because they've lived it. Um, there's a bunch of houses that are don't have a lot of people in them, don't have any people in them, and they're abandoned. And the governor and the mayor don't want to give them to to the people so then they can have a place to live and there's a bunch of people. I think it's been a really hard last year and a half for them talking to Martha about the stuff that they had been through as a family. Parenting under any circumstance is difficult but parenting as a single parent without a stable home with two young children is just, I, I can't, as a mom myself, I just completely can't understand how that's possible. We had really high anxiety and depression, and my daughters had emotional outbursts, especially the youngest one. And it was really difficult to manage at that time. And I was also having a lot of insomnia, which was affecting my physical health. But now that Martha and her daughters are in a stable home again, things have gotten a lot better for them. I think they're doing really well now. They seem like they're just reestablishing their relationship as a family. And their younger daughter, she's starting to really read now before she couldn't focus. So I, I think it's just having that stable home, having their own space, has just really brought their quality of life up so much more. Why did you want to do this story? I live in L.A. I've also lived in different parts of California. I lived in Northern California. And the homelessness crisis here is just, it's everywhere. You can't escape it, and it's growing by the day. And the pandemic has just really blown it out of the water, I think. What's always shocking about 
LA is that this is one of the richest cities in one of the richest states in the country. And we have one of the highest poverty rates and one of the highest rates of homelessness. You know, there's a myth that these their people are coming down from other states and they want the sunshine and they want to just live open and freely. Buscaino himself has said that before. But the reality is the vast majority of people who are homeless in Los Angeles are from Los Angeles. And they become homeless and they live in the neighborhoods in which they grew up. So this is very much an L.A.-made crisis that is really indicative of, I think, not just our priorities here in this city, but our priorities nationally. And that's The Take. The Fault Lines documentary picks up with Martha's story and includes so much more about how the Reclaiming Our Homes movement started and where it is now. We'll link to the film from our Twitter and Instagram pages at AJ The Take. Check it out. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilve, with me, Malika Bilal, Amy Walters, Nagin Auliai, Ney Alvarez, Dina Kispe, and Alexandra Locke. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Fenton is the Take story editor, and Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. Special thanks to the Fault Lines team for all their support, including editor Adrian Haspel and associate producer Daria Marshinkova. We'll be back. <laughs> 